Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics, a podcast dedicated to exploring how things get places and the people who get them there. We'll talk with logistics and supply chain leaders about innovation, industry trends, and the future of the logistics business. Now, here's your host, Joe Lynch. Hello, this is Joe Lynch from the Logistics of Logistics, and I've got my friend and co-host today, Ann Holm. Say hello, Ann. Hi, glad to be here. So, Ann, give everyone a little background on what you do. Yeah, so I'm an executive coach, and I work with one of the sectors that I work in is the logistics field, helping individuals be at their best when it comes to creating leads and going through the sales process. My background before that was I actually worked with brain injured people, but now for the last 10 years, I've been uh, an executive coach, and this is one of the areas that I enjoy coaching in the most. Yep. And, and, and I work very closely with a lot of the same clients and we've worked together. She's been my executive coach for many years and she's been very helpful. And now we have clients that we work with together. So today, Anne and I are going to talk about a topic that's near and dear to us. It is five ways 3PL sales has changed and what you can do about it. And we'll go through each one of the things that has changed first. And then we'll circle back and talk about what you can do about it to kind of counteract some of these things that have happened in the marketplace. So the five things, I'll I'll touch on them briefly first, and then we'll go through them. The internet has really changed the way we sell. So that's that's the number one thing. And we'll go into much more detail in a minute. So number one is the internet's changed the way we sell. Secondly, we're selling something that's much more strategic than we used to. It used to be very kind of transactional market, becoming much more strategic. You're selling oftentimes an IT platform along with uh, uh, whatever other services you might be selling. You have to sell a lot more people than just one like we used to. Number three is the market, the people we're selling to are very distracted. So are we, of course. All the gizmos that we have, all the overwhelming amount of information makes it difficult on us, any of us to focus like we used to, I think. Number four, competition. Competition has gotten really fierce in this space. And the last point, the last number five, is the buying process has begun, begins online. And we'll talk much more in detail about that in a minute. So, Anne, why don't we talk, why don't you talk about the first one, which is the internet? Yes. Well, things have changed in all sectors, thanks to the age of information, thanks to Google. If you can think back even 10 years ago, even five years ago, the number of transactions that you did online, maybe 10 years ago, you just had a few that you would do online. Maybe even 10 years ago, you were calling a reservationist's for instance, at Delta to make your flight reservations. Well, now all of this stuff gets done online. Think about what's changed even five years ago, three years ago. We do just about everything online. And what the upshot of that is, is that it's more control for you, the buyer. In the old days, we had very limited information. We thought we had a lot of information, but we didn't know how little information we had until we had all of this information. This is the age of information. So you would make buying decisions based on perhaps the sales pitch of a sales individual that you encountered. So 
you know, I don't know if you can remember this commercial, or maybe I just saw it on Isle of Lucy, but the guy who knocked on the door and throws the dirt onto the carpet and then says, and I have the vacuum for you. You didn't even know you needed a vacuum, but here it was right in your face. Nowadays, you want something, you just go online and you start searching for it. So you're searching for experts, you're searching for what people say about a particular company you're considering working with. It's just a lot of information and the customer is driving it this time and not the buyer. And not, excuse me, yeah, the customer, the buyer is driving it, not the uh, individual who is selling. That's a big change. If I could add something to that, Anne, is in the past, the guy you worked with, because we didn't have all the cool technologies, he was down the street. I wouldn't want to work with somebody from 600 miles away because I need bills of lading. I need bills. I want to be able to, I want to go back and forth and talk to him. Now I could be working with someone in India and I don't really care because the exchange of information is easy. Even the communication's easy. Yep. Ever, the whole world's available um, to no you. Long, no long distance phone calls. <laughs> oh, yeah. You remember the days when you'd say, okay, listen, I can't call till after five o'clock because the rates are better. Or maybe I'll even wait till after 11 when the rates are at their lowest. You know, it was a, those were some big restrictions that we had on who we would talk to and when we'd talk to people. That stuff is gone. So it has really put the buyer in the driver's seat. Yes. Uh, so often you're able to go. I've written a lot of articles on how to select a 3PL. So if somebody's looking, I'm not the only one. There's lots of people who've written that same article. And so if you're looking and say, I need to buy a new, get a, pick a new 3PL, it's easy. I just go online. I'm looking for who's the best guy to do my cross-border shipments to Canada. It's easy. I'll just Google until I find some. Mm-hmm. So number two, and that's number one is the internet's changed everything. Number two is the sale that we're making in logistics, warehousing, the technologies that support all those is much more strategic than it used to be. In the past, you might have been working with a guy who was on the dock or maybe the operations manager. Now, if you're bringing in, if you're working with a large shipper, we've got to integrate our technologies into theirs. So it means we got to have the IT guy involved. Chances are we're going to be doing some stuff with finance, both we're going to be billing them, we'll be doing some auditing with them, there's some integration with them. So we have to have finance involved. Very often, senior management, if there's a manufacturing or distribution guy, he's involved. The sale went from, I talked to the guy on the dock or I talked to the traffic manager to I talked to an executive team. And that's that's really changed the way we have to sell. We also, when you're getting to that size company, there's oftentimes purchasing department, purchasing agent, purchasing manager. And he says, here's the process we're going to use. And he's going to, has his weighted average, even if there's not a purchasing guy there, they're going to have a purchasing mentality. Again, since they were able to do a lot of research online, they're managing the process. It's their ball and it's their bat. It's their yard. Well, you know, Joe, it sounds like you're talking about a lot of personalities that you encounter in a typical sale. There's a lot of individuals, humans that you have to connect with in order to create the sale where it used to be just one or two guys, usually just one. It sounds like you have to be have some degree of savvy with multiple personalities who play multiple roles. Yep, yep. And I should also add, and I was at one of the top, one of the largest 3PL a month ago. And they told me 10 years ago, 30% of their sales were strategic and 70% were transactional. Now it's flipped. 
70% of their sales are strategic. And it just, it requires a different way of approaching the market. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a lot of people you have to work with and a lot of people you have to get their attention and engagement with. Yep. Which brings us to the next point and tell us about distracted people. Well, now I mentioned at the beginning of the call that I worked with brains. That was my field for 25 years prior to going into coaching 10 years ago. And one of the most important things that I learned from that field is how much distraction can affect an individual's performance, affect their ability to make decisions. Distraction is huge. And all of us are distracted in one way or another. We're either distracted because we're multitasking. Maybe some of you who are listening to this podcast are cleaning off your desk. We're distracted. We try to multitask. We have Maybe our phone has gone off and somebody has texted you while we've been having this conversation today. Day to day, we have a lot of distractions and we're trying to balance multiple streams of information. So how do you, as a seller, create engagement? How do you create the focus that is necessary for somebody to want to work with you? Well, that's a, that's a big challenge and it gets to be more of a challenge every day, the idea of the distracted customer. Yeah. And it's interesting you should say that. It bugs me when I see, when you have a meeting with someone and they're playing with their phone or on their laptop. But while we're having this podcast, we're only 10 minutes in, and my phone is off, but it's next to me. I keep touching it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I had to put mine in another room. You know, the uh, <laughs> there is some evidence that even just having your phone in the room will create a distraction, even if you're not on it, because you're at least it's on the back burner. And if you think about, oh, maybe, you know, windows on a computer or whatever, the more windows you have open, the less efficient you're going to be. So we're all often dealing with the static of many windows open in our attention sphere. And so how do you overcome that? How do you get somebody to put the phone aside and go, ah, now I want to hear what you have to say? It's a big challenge. And it's talk about being novel. Yeah. So another thing too is our brains like two things. Number one, they like clarity. They want to know what something is. They want a clear description of what it is that is being considered. So clarity is one. Number two, people like novelty. They don't want things to look the same all the time. And novelty was brewed into us in our ancestral makeup so that we notice something that could potentially affect our lives. We could, you know, you got to notice the saber-toothed tiger in the corner, for instance. Well, we still need novelty. That's part of our DNA. So in order to create this engagement or attention or focus, there has to be something novel or unique about what you're looking at, or you're very likely just going to skim over it. So when I talked about, no, you know, I haven't talked about it yet, but I'm going to, I'm going to touch on this when it comes to the LinkedIn profile. It's a really important topic, but I think I've got that down as uh, something we'll talk about a little bit later. But suffice it to say that the novelty and the uniqueness has to be there in order to create that initial engagement. Yep. And I say this is if it's not if it's boring, if it's salesy, if it's pitchy, if it's 
the same. Yeah, if it's boring or salesy or comes off as just kind of the same old, we just we zone out. That's how we all are. Mm -hmm. We zone out. And not only that, it has a secondary effect of being putting you into the category of a commodity. Because yep. if you've heard it before and you've heard it again, you realize there's a lot of it out there and then you fall into a commodity sort of a, of a bracket. Yep. Well, and that brings us on to our fourth point, which is competition has really intensified. There's more competition out there. There's actually, I think, fewer 3PLs out there, but they're bigger and they're more sophisticated. So the level of competition is higher. We've had consolidation in the space. We all seen uh, XPO buy up a lot of companies. We have uh, private equity companies coming in and saying, I can merge a whole bunch of companies and have, you know, larger scale, more capability, more trucks, more warehousing technology, whatever it might be. But what we're seeing is those big players are very sophisticated and they're offering some really nice service offerings. So we have to somehow get past that. If you're the average or small third party logistics company or trucking company, you have to find a way to get to neutralize that competition. You don't want to have to go head to head with it. You can't go head to head with it. They offer too much. In some cases. Yes, yes. I would like to add this in there too. Maybe some of your listeners have traveled to places like the Caribbean where you go in your shop and everything's sort of in a kiosk and everything looks sort of the same. And so you go from booth to booth to booth and they all have the same scarves and they all have the same this and the same that. And then you get to maybe a kiosk where it's just a little more organized or it's a little bit more clear about what you're getting when you walk in there. All of a sudden you have a place in the market, this crowded marketplace that exists, you have a place. And so when you talk about all the big players, all the money, all the clout, that just means more of everything. And so you got to have a way to, a doorway into what you're offering. Yep. And you touched on something real quick there about the clout. One of the things we're also seeing is they're spending money. Uh, for the longest time, the largest 3PL, the largest trucking company, we never heard of. Mm -hmm. Now I can't watch football on TV without seeing advertising for the space. That we also see logistics companies popping up in the, the largest companies in the world, which we never saw in the past. Yeah, yeah, that's another big thing too. I mean, it it, it is all about logistics. It really yep. is. I mean, Amazon has been a big driver of it, but it's more than that. It's everything is about logistics, so it's showing up everywhere. And the competition is there. So, and talk about the next point, number five, the buying process. Yes. So I alluded to this a little bit earlier, but I want to kind of just bring it back to, to mind here. When you think about things that you purchased in the past, you know, what were the steps that you went through? Um, yellow pages. Uh, we talked about that earlier. You know, we, you'd maybe look for something in the yellow pages. Maybe you would ask a friend, you know, do you know anybody who does this? Maybe you'd go to a trade show. Maybe that was a way that you would find out what's out there. There were options to get information. But nowadays, everything starts with online research. So we're really looking at the challenge of how do we appear in that online research so that we're even considered for the opportunities that are out there. It's changed so much. I mean, if you think about it, everything you do, you're pulling your phone out of your back pocket 
to start the process. Yep. And if I could add this, I always say this to people, how do you make your major purchases? If I'm not buying a new house, I'm buying a car, if I'm looking for a couch for my kid, going on a nice trip, buying a new laptop, all of it starts with a Google search. And you go, why would, or Bing, whatever you're using, why would guys who use that all day long for themselves not use it when they go uh, make up a selection of a third-party logistics company or transportation logistics provider? Yeah, you know, it's really interesting. I was, one of the things I've noticed is even when people are purchasing homes, you know, you always call the realtor. You always call the realtor. What's out there? Now you have Zillow. Now you have, you just have so many ways to get that information in you. And it always starts out online. The other part that I think is really important to mention at this juncture too, Joe, is that it almost sounds like we're saying you will never you have to make a phone call or initiate something or, you know, what is known as the cold call. That still has a place in sales. Not every single thing is done online. But I will tell you this. When you're going to make a, I have a conversation with somebody or you've had a conversation with somebody, we turn to the internet to see how legitimate that person was. Who is it that was calling me? Get online, see what that, see if he's got a LinkedIn profile, see, see what you can see about the company if he's left you a voicemail or something like that. So the, if you, th- you can almost think about the internet as a way to warm the cold call and you have to have those heaters up and running when you're off making a call to somebody because they are going to check you out. Oh yeah. Yep. Exactly. So, and as we segue into what you can do about all these things, mm-hmm. I want to just hit the big five again. Sure. What has changed in the market? And this is over the last decade, last five years, we've seen this, these changes. The internet's really shifted control from the seller to the buyer. So we're going to live with their process. The sale has become, that's number one. Number two is how they, the people who you're selling to, and we're a much more strategic sale than we used to. It used to be a little more transactional. Now we're selling to senior management, the IT guy, purchasing ops. It's a whole team we're selling. Number three, we're selling to guys who are just as distracted and multitasking as we are. And so we have to find a way to catch their attention, get them to put the phone. And they're not going to do that for the same old, same old. Number four is competition has increased. And number five, is the buying process begins online, just like all of us do. We all buy online. We now know that B2B buyers are using the internet more than ever before. I don't think that's going to go down. It's going to go up. So we have to deal with that. Mm-hmm. So having said all that, and what can we do about it? What's the number one thing we might do about that? Oh, I'm really glad you asked because it does sound pretty overwhelming, doesn't it? So the first suggestion that I would have is this idea of having your personal brand defined. And what I mean by that is, you know, you have an idea of who you are or how you want to present, but it's really important to know who you actually are and how you actually present through the eyes of individuals that know you through the eyes of your customers. This is known as the personal brand. Now you can do a personal brand for individuals and they can get an idea of 
what sorts of qualities about themselves that they should leverage when they go out to work in something like sales or or just about any role. But it's also, you could use it for a small business. Now, when we think of brand, we think, for instance, let's think of oh, maybe Campbell Soup. So when we're trying to determine what somebody's brand is, we're looking at two things. We're looking at competence. So the first thing is, does that individual or that thing or that entity deliver on certain very definable things? You know, is Campbell's soup, does it taste good? Does it, you know, does it nourish? Whatever those criteria are. But then we have this also this emotional piece. So it's this idea of, you know, when I think of Campbell's Soup, I think of my mom taking care of me when I was six, something like that. So when you're looking at defining a personal brand, you're not only looking at defining what your features are or how people see you from a, from a competence standpoint, we're also looking at how people see you when it comes to sort of an emotional connection. Like here's a perfect example. Let's say you are the kind of logistics company where they give you the load uh, and you don't have to worry, or you give those individuals the job or the load and you don't have to worry about it anymore because these individuals are so reliable. You'll never have to think about it again until the delivery's made and you get confirmation that the delivery's been made. That's what I mean by emotional connection. So when you're looking at personal brand, you're looking at features and competencies but you're also looking at what does the customer gain from an emotional standpoint when he works with you. Yep. We'll get right back to the podcast in just a moment. If you sell transportation or logistics services, the Logistics of Logistics can help you sell more. Our customized program will help you understand your sales personality, including your strengths and blind spots, get more sales leads, and improve your communication and salesmanship. We can also position you as a recognized industry expert and help you reach your target audience. To learn more, visit thelogisticsoflogistics.com. And now, back to the show. And could you explain how you would go about doing a personal brand? Oh, sure. So a personal brand is done via a thing called a 360. So what, uh, and I use for myself, when I work with any client, I use a thing called Reach 360, which is sort of the gold standard for personal branding. And basically what it is, is that you survey, you know, 40, 50 people that know you, their customers, family members, community members, people who work with you or for you. And you get a just a very broad picture of how people see you. And so this exercise is very positive. You you see where your leverage points are. You see all the good things that you're known for. There's a very, very, very small part of it will, that'll tell you what maybe a blind spot it is that you have that you might need to consider. But the lion's share of it is around defining what people see in you that makes you unique in the marketplace or in your job. It's a really simple exercise, but it's a very powerful exercise. And if I could add something, what I like about the process you're using, and again, I'm not advertising and product here or service here, is it's that's an authentic approach. As I mentioned in previous podcasts and also to you, when I worked as an engineer, I would update my resume and say I was very analytical and detail-oriented. And it's what I wanted to be and what I thought you'd want to put on an engineer's resume. 
but it wasn't exactly who I was. I've, I, I like to think I have some positive traits, but those would not be things that would be strengths. I can certainly do details. I can do analysis, but it's not what I should lead. And, yeah. and it's just, again, it was what I thought the market wanted, but I don't think most people after they worked with me would say that they'd say, Joe's a great guy. Have someone else do the analysis and the details. Yeah, yeah. And you don't, sometimes you don't know about that because you're trying to present in a way that you think everybody else wants to see you. You know, one of the things that came out of my own personal brand was this idea of being an expert. And I was stunned. I was stunned by that, that somebody would think of me as an expert. And I don't know why that is. I don't know if it's because I tend to be really curious. So I think I never know enough or I don't know what it was, but I was stunned by that. And I thought, wow, you know, this is, I've never even tried to leverage that. And so it was, it was an eye opener. And, and uh, I mean, I'm in the business of knowing people and knowing yourself and self-awareness and everything else like that. And I was surprised that I had that impression on people and I didn't even know it after all the years in the business. <laughs> well, I know you're an expert. So, uh, which brings, <laughs> us on, brings us on to point two specialization. The market is really big in what we, so when we talk about transportation, we have trains, we have boats, we have trucks, we have LTL. We have, I think, 11 different services within transportation. And then we have warehousing, we have special services, and we have technology. You're not the expert in all of it. You need to figure out where you want to focus. And I think you look from the customer's perspective, don't say I'm an expert in technology. Nobody cares. What you want to be is an expert in cold chain or retail or automotive logistics or pick and pack. Pick something Mm -hmm. that makes some sense. Obviously, where you work should influence that. (laughs) But I think what the market is looking for, if you're competing against the big dogs, and we all are, you better pick something that helps you differentiate yourself, be different and better. And so you you might want to say, I'm a cold chain guy. I understand the process from taking food from the farm right to the table. And I understand every single process. I'm a food safety expert. I'm that guy. And you might write articles, get to a conference, really dig deep. And you want to be an inch wide and a mile deep, not a mile wide and an inch deep. It's what companies should be doing. It's what individuals should be doing. Today, I had a brief conversation with Peter Stefanovich over at Left Lane Associates. He helps companies buy and sell logistics companies, transportation companies. And he said the number one things he does when he's working with companies on the sell side where he's helping them sell their business is specialize. And it it works for companies, it works for individuals. So I can't stress enough, if you're going to compete in this market, specialize. And that that's one of those things that cuts through the clutter too. If I'm a guy and say, I only sell office equipment and that's my business. And then somebody says, oh, I specialize in I have six different companies I work with that do office equipment. That sounds a little niche but. Well, yeah, you know, the other thing too is, is I like to uh, just make a comment here about the word specialization. When we think about specialization, sometimes we associate specialization with limitation. You know, that if I say I work with chicken transport, that means that if somebody wants me to move paper, for instance, I don't do that. But it actually has, this idea of specialization actually has a very powerful marketplace impact, and that is clarity. So if you have something 
that you want to ship, let's say you're shipping paper, you don't need refrigerated trucks to ship paper, right? So you're going to be looking for somebody who has whatever setup to be able to ship something that's paper. So it's in that specialization that people can actually find you because the needs are often more specific than just general needs. The needs are specific enough that they're looking for somebody who specializes. So specialization is really not any kind of limitation. It actually creates more business because people actually know what it is that they're getting when they get you. Yep. And I think you know, if you're going to be in this space for a while, if this is your profession, you might as well go ahead and become that guy who's maybe written some articles, done some podcasts, done some YouTube mm-hmm. videos, some webinars, get to conferences and be able to say, I'm that guy. So when you go to Target and say, hey, I'd like to work with you, and they're like, Ugh, you know, you and everybody else that, yeah, but here's the thing. I already work with six other retailers. I understand your problem. That matters. Well, you know, I have to say this too, Joe, if I might share just a quick story about myself. So I mentioned that for 25 years, I worked in uh, the field of brain injury. And then I went into executive coaching a bit over 10 years ago. And so basically, that made me a small business owner. And I needed to build my business, market my business, etc. And I made the mistake early on of saying, I can coach anybody. I can coach anybody, you know, bring me, you know, the young, the old, the whoever, whoever needed coaching, I was, I was there and I could do it. And what it ended up doing is it made it very difficult for me to be found. It made it very difficult for somebody to say, I want to work with Anne because it wasn't clear what I did really, really well compared to other coaches. There's a lot of coaches out there and a lot of coaches do a lot of different things. And so the journey to figuring out absolutely I needed to be very specific about what I did as a coach and as a small business owner was really, really, really important in growing my business. And it seems counterintuitive to specialize, but it absolutely is key. So wait a second. You mean you chose to work with transportation and logistics guys? I did. I did. <laughs> you know, you know what it is? It's what intrigued me about it. I'll be really honest about why why this. Because I do I do coach other sectors, but why do I spend a good part of my time doing logistics? Because logistics is a is technologically driven. And I feel like because it's technologically driven, sometimes People think that that's all it is. It's all technology, but it couldn't be more human because of things we said prior to this. You know, who are you talking to? You might have to talk to five, six, seven guys before you make a sale. What if it boils down to technology guys learning what the soft skills and the soft skills are oftentimes the hard skills. So I really like introducing that. I like introducing people to the notion that you will be even better at what you do when you have an awareness about how you present, how others see you, what you can do to leverage your best personality, your best skills. I love teaching people in logistics that because they typically don't get that kind of teaching when they are going, you know, studying logistics. So I love the human element. Yep. And that's the same for me is my business has done much better because I do specialize in helping transportation logistics guys sell more. 
So if I just said my business is helping any B2B company sell more, I don't think it'd be horrible, but I think it'd be limiting to me. Yeah. There's a million companies out there that sell transportation logistics. The market is far bigger than I can ever sell to. But what's nice is when I do talk to guys, they say, okay, so you're from 3PL. You are a supply chain guy. You work. They know I speak their language, which is helpful, which, by the way, brings us to our next point. And, yeah, uh, yeah. You know, the, other, the other thing I wanted to add, too, and I just had this thought as we were conversing, you know, I grew up in Detroit and I so I, the, you know, big supply chain world there is Detroit. And my dad owned a market research company. So he was on the the soft side of the very, you know, technologically driven economy, which was, you know, Detroit. So I just had this revelation by, you know, that's kind of maybe where I got it from, this combination of technology and, you know, something like logistics combined with helping people do it the very best that they can do it. It's interesting. Anyway, I got way off track here. So uh, yeah, yeah, no, sorry about that. So what is the last question you were talking to is the idea of talking to people via LinkedIn, social media and personality and all that, right? Yep. LinkedIn is sort of the gold standard for finding out, particularly people who are in business, what it is they do, what they're known for, what their experiences are, etc. I alluded to this earlier, but I want to give this hot tip about LinkedIn. If you happen to be on LinkedIn and if you happen to have the LinkedIn app on your phone, and even if you don't, and you Google somebody's name, you know, let's say you've, you know, had some sort of contact with a particular salesperson and you say, well, let me know, see if I can figure out what this guy's all about. And you get one of the first things that is likely to pop up is the LinkedIn profile. And if you click onto that, you'll notice that you're only going to see the first 25% of their profile. You're going to see their picture, you're going to see their headline, and you're going to see a summary. That has to be really, really crisp for people to want to read further. If there's no picture, if there's no headline, like if your headline says something like sales logistics, that may be, that's so general that there's nothing that's intriguing people to keep looking and look a little bit further and, and start to get to know you. We mentioned earlier the idea of novelty. You know, what's unique about you? You want that on the top 25% of your LinkedIn profile because that's what shows up on the cell phone, uh, cell phone screen. Um, it's very important to take it to that your personal brand is reflected in that top 25% of your LinkedIn profile. The uh, And if I, could, if I could add something, so often I'm looking at LinkedIn profiles. And what's interesting to me is, I spoke to somebody yesterday, very sharp young man. He's been working for a number of years, but it says it in his profile at the top, you know, in his headline, graduate. That kind oh, of yeah. it, it alludes <laughs> to, I just got out of school, but he didn't just get out of school. And he's working. Yeah. And he's working for one of the transportation companies, very well known, very well respected, except he didn't add that job yet. And I thought, so, and then, yes. And, and again, this is a sh very sharp guy. I look at his, the picture and I say, yep. that picture uh, isn't professional enough. And it's not horrible. It's just not professional. And yes. I think, okay, so now I, I'm looking and thinking, all right, you just got out of school and you don't sell logistics. And okay, there's you and, Oh, you know, a hoodie <laughs> and yeah, yeah. it does, does you no good. 
Yeah. So rather than that LinkedIn profile being something that was a positive, this somebody says, wow, I connected with this guy and I'm a cold chain supply chain and I want him because he's a cold chain expert. No, I look at him and go, oh, okay, some kid. Yeah, it's so, it's so important. So, you know, there's a lot of social media out there. There really is. There's, you know, I have done uh, presentations to small businesses around the idea of using social media. And, you know, many of them come into that conversation going, oh, my gosh, I don't know how much time I have to put into social media. I don't know. There's LinkedIn, there's Facebook, there's Twitter, there's this, there's that. I don't know what to do. And one of the things that is really important when you decide on a social media strategy, first of all, if you're a small business, absolutely you have to have LinkedIn. I think that's number one. But then number two, as far as making other social media choices, they really do boil down to where do you think your audience is? How much time are you willing to spend? It becomes a very individualized strategy. So there is no you know, you got to be on everything because if you're not on everything, you're on nothing. That can be farther from the truth. Here again, you have to find what's going to be most beneficial to your customers and what's going to be something that you can and are willing to manage. So it might be LinkedIn and maybe participating on some Twitter conversations or it might be LinkedIn and, and Facebook or, or something like that. There's nothing that says that you have to be doing every social media thing that there's available because that's not effective either. Yep. And Anne, if I could add something, we talked about personal branding as a remedy to these five things that have changed the market. Talked about specialization. I look at LinkedIn as where that stuff manifests. That's where I make that point. You know, the fact that I specialize, if no one knows I specialize, I'm not really specialized. So I think LinkedIn is a basic for people in transportation, logistics, whatever else you decide beyond that is fine. But without without LinkedIn, you don't exist. Yeah, that's. I think that that's that's generally true unless you're part of a gigantic organization. But even then, I think that they you end up having to do a profile anyway. So so that's one way to stand out. I guess is the, you know the main point is is that it's an important strategy to counteract some of the factors that we were talking about earlier, the distractions and the complexity of the marketplace. Yep. Which brings us to our last point, Ann. Yeah. Personal branding, specialization, LinkedIn, those are things that are kind of uh, separate from the customer. But when you finally do actually get with a customer, yeah, it's important that there be really good engagement. It be, you know, an emotionally satisfying experience. And I don't mean that it sounds a little softer than I want it to, but you yes. have to be able to connect with clients. And I mentioned to Anne offline that I work a lot with younger people. I think we all do. At this point, a lot of people are younger than me. That's exactly but, um, <laughs> right. That's all we do is work with younger people. Yeah. But, you know, we've all gotten addicted to our phones and our gadgets. Mm -hmm. And we have to learn to sit in front of somebody and engage and connect and be on their wavelength read their body language, read their words, and make adjustments in our communication. And I think, you know, I'm, I won't say it's a lost art or anything like that, but I will say that a lot of us work very far from our customer. Mm -hmm. And so we're not as practiced as we once were with that human interaction. 
Yes, I think that's a really excellent point. We, you know, there is a bit, little bit of losing the edge, but let me just say this. Have you, any of you ever gone somewhere, like you go out to dinner and everybody's got their phone on the table, for instance, and so the conversations feel disjointed. There's not that connection piece because everybody's sort of having two conversations. They might be texting their friend and talking to somebody. And then you put those phones away and you don't take them out for the entire rest of the evening. And once you get over that trauma of not having your device with you, all of a sudden you start to feel what it really feels like to connect with people. Well, that's a really, really important skill set to have. And it's it's a skill set that requires that for you to be sort of aware of how you like to take in information and work with information. So for instance, I'm really a big picture kind of person. And to know whether or not I am engaging with somebody who's similar to me in that way, or do I need to adjust? So one of the examples I always use is, imagine me, I'm kind of a bit of a free spirit, talking to Warren Buffett, who's a very strategic, conservative, detail-oriented guy. And if I have to go in and have a conversation with him, I need to say, okay, I'm different than this guy. I'm different in a big way. So I better spend a little bit of extra time being prepared to go in and have a conversation with him that's detail-oriented, strategic, and to the point. And so when I work with individuals, I like for individuals to understand their personality, understand it at the level of how do I communicate with other people and how do I notice if I need to make those adjustments. In a world that's technology-driven, it is a bit of a lost art to know those nuances, but they're really important when you get down to the level of a sales transaction, when you actually are sitting down with somebody that you're trying to influence. Those soft skills matter immensely when it comes to influence. Yep, and I shared a story with you offline uh, about an old boss of mine when I worked in engineering and. He asked me something one time and I gave him an answer. And then he looked at me kind of funny and he said, Lynch, every time I talk to you, every time I ask you what time it is, you tell me how your watch was made. <laughs> and, yep. and, and what he was being very blunt about was me talking around the answer and maybe brainstorming a little bit. And he didn't want that. He wanted to know right. yes or no, uh, what time. And I was giving him a lot more information than. He wanted. And I, I like to think I adjusted my conversation. My type of communication had to be adjusted when I worked in engineering because that's not how most engineers communicate. And I like to think I adjusted. Yes. Yes. When I was in coaching school, that was one of the things that I had to work on is bottom lining it <laughs> because, you know, you, you wander your way to the point. And for somebody who's, who doesn't think that way, that sounds confusing and scattery. So it's really important to know. And so when I do a personality evaluation for a client, some of the things we talk about is, you know, how do you engage with people? What's the advantage to that? Because there's always a good side to it. And then what's the disadvantage or the blind spot that you have to be aware of? So you don't end up losing the connection. So there's a real art to that. But the art starts with a level of self-awareness too. Yep. And I will say, I've been working with Ann as my executive coach for I think eight years now. And one of the things that when I first started working with her was, I talk too much. So that had to be tempered. 
<laughs> and yeah. I don't know that you're ever going to complete that job, Ann, but <laughs> we started. <laughs> I know. I think I'm going to be employed forever. But but <laughs> the, tr- the truth of the matter is, is that there's things that you can do. Once you know this about yourself, there's things that you can do, like mute the phone when it's not your turn to talk, you know, whatever. But these are, these are nuanced skills that can be taught, and they're very important when you have a sales transaction. So I cover that when I work with a client because it's so important. It's so important. But it's, it's always my turn to talk. That's the problem. <laughs> yes, right. That's right. Anyway, let's wrap this up. Okay. I hope this was very I hope this was very useful to all of you listening. We enjoyed sharing it. If you want more, Anne and I are co-facilitating a sales improvement course. It's called 21st Century Sales Skills for Transportation Logistics Companies. It starts September 19th. I will uh, put the information if you want to register and join us. We would love that. And the way it's set up is there's nine training sessions. Those will be facilitated by yours truly. Those are done via webinar. So if you can't attend, it's all recorded. So you don't have, you won't miss anything. And then there's three appointments where you'll be working with Anne. One of the things on personal branding, some on action planning, some understanding your personality type and how to understand other people's personality type. So, and then there's also an online element, which is great website that has all sorts of training videos and assessments and stuff that is very useful for salespeople. So we'd love it if you join us. And do you want to add anything to my blathering? No, I think actually you bottom lined it pretty well. So we'd love to have you join us. And I think it's a nice combination of some general sort of group work where you understand concepts and then the specific appointments allow you to consider how all of this stuff actually applies to you. So it's not just informational, but it's actually specific to, to you. Yep. We wanted a customized, customized training program, customized coaching program, and that's what we're going to deliver. Anyway, thank you so much, Anne. You're welcome. And thank all of you for uh, joining us. And until next time. You've been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage in conversation with experts in the logistics field. For more details, visit thelogisticsoflogistics.com or follow Joe Lynch on LinkedIn.